Welcome back to Res Ball, where Andy and I are going to talk about the Pistons and their first three games so far. The feeling is good, but there are some things we need to throw some cold water on and also question one Piston in particular's role so far on this squad. So feelings are good. The Monty effect is in full effect, but let's get started right now. everyone andy and i are recording on october 28th 2023 right after the home opener for the detroit pistons they played their third game in the regular season andy before we start let everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs you can find me on twitter at d underscore d underscore pistons underscore fan this team is two and one that is awesome the games have been fun to watch. This has been a great season. What What are your thoughts so far? Man, they could have been three and one easily. That Miami game, really Miami's lucky that K just got cold at the wrong time. And then Alec Burks missed a wide open shot in the corner. That does not happen very often. They've just been very competitive. You got to see all the young guys run. It was an interesting way to start the season with how the lineup has shaken out. But the thing we're going to start talking about with today is what we've dubbed the Monty effect, meaning Monty Williams. You just see his fingerprints and his influence on every avenue, uh, every facet of this team has just made such a big difference. The emphasis on defense, as I alluded to, the lineup changes and what we thought it would be. Um, and the rotation isn't what we thought it would be. But there is absolutely 100 percent emphasis on defense. And the shooting was something we were concerned about. And while in the early returns, it hasn't been fantastic either. and hasn't made that big of a difference like we thought it would. They'd get a shooting enough in certain places. And then there was nothing better than Cade dropping 30 on Miami to start the season. When that happened, I was like, as long as he's healthy, then nothing else matters to me this season. because That was fantastic. Second of that was Beef Stew hitting shots from three. Everybody had doubted him. I'm happy to see them be quiet. And then he followed that up in the, the Charlotte game by hitting those clutch shots, handling the hard foul and the cheap shot by P.J. Washington. I was late on him there. And then the, the highlight that has been the best thing in these three games is, is B-Stew blowing kisses to P.J. and then randomly telling Terry Rozier, hey, like, you want to actually fight afterwards? I'm down to do it. So... I've just seen so many Piston fans tweet out, like, sign that man to a lifetime contract because that's the exact type of player Detroit fans love. What are your thoughts on this team so far in the Monty effect, Andy? Well, I think the schedule has been good for this team in terms of the first three teams we've played, Miami, Charlotte, and now the Bulls. I think they're probably in the bottom third in terms of offense. So they're not, you know, regarded as offensive powerhouses, which is good for us to help us get our defense, you know, our, because like the team is making a lot of turnovers, which honestly, it doesn't bother me. I know you can't win basketball games with this many turnovers, but you have a rookie and a star getting heavy minutes. You've got, a, I think it's the youngest starting lineup in terms of the average age in the NBA. So it's a young team. But if you want them to get experience, they got to play. They got to play. They're going to make mistakes. And the, some of the turnovers they have are, you know, passes that uh, the window's not there to get the pass in. And you know what? That's fine because I want to see Dur Duran. I want to see Asar. I want to see them develop as playmakers. I don't mind the mistakes. I'm happy because the young guys are playing. Honestly, some of the injuries to our vets look like a blessing in disguise because we get to see how competitive these young guys can be while getting minutes. So, I mean, I have loved this season. I'm complete. And the games have been fun. They've been fun games to watch. So I've given me a whole season like this and I'm happy, even if we only reach 
anywhere between 25 and 30 wins, this would be a fantastic season. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things to me that's been the most fun to watch is the emphasis Monty Williams and the coaching staff has placed on the paint on both ends of the court. On offense, you see guys attacking. That's been the number one thing from Cade to Killian uh, to the big man, even Beef Stew, even though he's been shooting threes. That hard foul he took from P.J. Washington is a great example. It looked like he was open for three, but he saw the lane wide open and decided, nope, this is the shot to take is to drive in. Maybe get some extra contact, got more contact than he bargained for. But that's the emphasis on it is, no, we need to attack the rack. We're going to establish ourselves inside first and then work our way out from there. And then on defense, too, there has been an emphasis on protecting the paint. So far in these three games against Miami, Detroit gave up 48 points in the paint. Against Charlotte, they gave up 48 points in the 48 points in the paint again. And then tonight against Chicago, they gave up merely 36 points in the paint, which is part of the reason why they were able to just pull the doors off Chicago there. So I really like that that's been the emphasis there too. And the way they've been able to defend, the way they've been able to remain aggressive, even though the turnovers and all that stuff has happened, has also been a blessing because you can easily go on the tank. You can easily start pointing the finger and get frustrated. That's Charlotte game. They had some like 23 turnovers, I think. Yeah, 23 turnovers in that Charlotte game. I was, even though they, they won and like, you know, they had some fun plays. I'm not going to lie. Whatever little of my hair was left, I was pulling it out in that one. As was the Miami game too, where they had 16. But tonight against Chicago, they only had eight. So hopefully they can be more towards those eight than 16 and, and 23. 23 and a half years old is the average age for guys on this team. So that's something that that's going to show, but man, they've really, really, really emphasized. Nope. We got big athletic guys like Duran and like Asar and Oh, beef stew. We're going to stress that you finish. And he's had great finishing numbers in the preseason and in the regular season so far. And Cade and the guards have just been attacking the rack more than anything else. Alec Burks is probably the exception to this, although he still does draw fouls at an amazing rate. That's always been part of his game. But like tonight, six of 10 from three. And then the protecting in the paint, Beef Stew and Jalen Duran and Asar have been able to form that three-man unit where it's like, yep, it's going to be hard to get in here. And then it's going to be even harder to finish. So what are some of the things you've noticed, either in like the stats or play that the Monty effect has really shown up so far in three games, Andy? Um. I think watching his like his rotation, I mean, he's running 10 guys, but really you could almost say he's running nine and almost eight because Joe Harris is only getting 11 minutes. Um, Marcus Sasser is only playing eight minutes a game. And basically he only comes in at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter to give Cade an extended break when you have the time between the the quarters, which is very smart, unless the Pistons have the last possession of the quarter, then he'll throw Kate in to run the offense for the last possession. I mean, he's just doing a great job of coaching, offense, defense, subbing. He's been mixing up some of his rotations a little bit. I think it may be based on matchups. I think part of it might be based on him just trying to get a feel for which groups actually work the best against different teams. Like I've just really been impressed with everything he's been doing in terms of managing the team. I'm not a fan of Ivy coming off the bench. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later, but in terms of how he's making everything work, it's very, very impressive. You can't even tell that there is uh, an amazing, sharpshooting scorer that doesn't play defense that's missing on the team. Yeah, which we'll get to here in just a few minutes. But man, I think the person that the Monty effect has had the most effect on, though, is Jalen Duran. I will say this probably all season watching the team play like this. Jalen Duran has the easiest job in the NBA. He is given so many great passes. Part of it is his physical abilities, being able to be the lob threat. And part of it is him being a great worker to become a better screener, which was not part of his game, being understanding how to be a role man, to be in the right spots and to be wide open. 
but man, he's got so many like great passes tonight. There was that, I don't even know. Like, I mean, Cade's a magician with the basketball, but there was that one where Cade got double teamed during slid under and it looked like Kate kicked it or whatever. Like I can't even, I looked at that replay like 10 times and I'm like, I've never seen anybody make that kind of a pass. And it was like a 90 degree pass too, where he bounced it off the, the hardwood, but put a spin on it to where it split the two defenders went 90 degrees straight to Jalen Duran. And it's just like, man, again, Duran has the easiest job in the NBA for that. And Asar, Asar has spent, there are so many easy looks from being able to get into the paint and find him just to be a dump off guy or hitting him in transition as a lob threat as well. Like they just always look for Duran. They always know where to find him. And then on defense as well, too, the big thing of Jalen Duran being able to block as many shots as he has so far. I think, again, it's the front line that I just laid out. Beef Stew, Duran, Asar. These two and Asar, like they cover so much ground and they've been able to be so multifaceted on defense that Duran just has to worry about the paint. He doesn't have to worry about running out and then getting on these like more athletic guys. Asar is there. He doesn't have to worry about being the switch big uh, on the power forwards that might be able to handle the ball better. These two is there for it. And then to have a Cade Cunningham there who is able to line everybody up on defense is one of the best communicators I've ever seen being the draft evaluation guy, be able to do a bunch of things. And Kate can step in and be a weak side rim protector when they call on him. He can step in and be a wing defender when they call on him. I mean, he can do all these things. And then Killian has made a, a big jump, I think, in terms of being a point of attack defender. He's like really improved in terms of his man-to-man defense, which is I think is part of why Monty's been like, nope, Killian's going to be starting even if the shooting struggles are there. This starting unit defensively coheres and all of it really benefits Jalen Duran to be like, hey, big man, we're going to keep you in the paint. Everybody in the starting five, the other four guys are supplementing him to keep him in the ideal spot he should be in, which is protecting the paint. So Jalen Duran, man, he's got the easiest job in the NBA. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, and I think part of it is simplifying his job a little bit um everything you said in terms of i mean Cade made bagley look great at the end of the season that they played together so two years ago he made bagley look really good and duran has that same ability to catch lobs and has just benefited so much by what Cade has created for him but like you said there's other great passers on the team. Asar has found him. Killian's found him. Ivy's found him. So offensively, and this isn't meant to, because everyone's just talking about how great Duran's playing. Yes, he is. But they've made it extremely easy for him, which is good. That's how you maximize a player. But then defensively, everything you said, I agree with 100%. Um, if you want to make the biggest changes on this team, it was changing our wing defense. And basically now you have Killian and Asar and Stu rotating all over the court. And then the other person out there is Cade, who is a good defender and has a lot of size. It's just made it so much easier for Duran because he's not worried about guys losing their man all over the place. So simplifying the job has made him stand out. And hopefully, you know, that can continue. Yeah, absolutely. I felt bad for Andre Drummond tonight because I kind of feel like he saw Duran and being celebrated and having this team around him. Because I think a lot of us wanted Dre to be what Duran basically is now. And like you said, keeping it simple. That's what we've been saying for a lot of, of time that Dre was here. It was like, just needed to keep it simple. Stop trying to post him up and do all these other things. And while you talked about Bisu putting, being able to be put in like post-up situations that you may not like, They've really kept Duran out of that, too, which I think is to his benefit and why they allow Beast to do it, because he has more of that background to do it. And he has touch and he has these different moves. And they're like, nope, as long as Duran's rolling hard to the rim, too, that's going to be another thing that can help Beast to and that can help uh, some of the other shooters and all these other things, because he's in these three games. He looks like an elite screen and roll guy, right? He looks like an elite lob threat and with Cade. We'll find him anywhere and everywhere. 
make those banana passes, like I just said, then that also provides a pressure and is one of those things in a defensive scouting report that they're like, man, forget covering the shooters that don't exist right now. Just sell out trying to stop that because if they get that going, they're going to get all these free throws and it's not going to end up well for us. Are there any other things you wanted to add that you feel Monty has really brought to the team that you've noticed so far? It's only three games, but anything else that you've noticed? So we are objective here. It's not all like, ah, oh, they're doing great. And it's three games too. The, uh, the one player that the Monty effect has had the most difficult like outcome for is Ivy. I mean, uh, Andy and I spent a lot of time before we started recording trying to figure out what to say about Ivy. And it's really just come down to like, what's up with Ivy? Andy, what do you think? Well, um, and not to be dramatic or to blow it up more than it is, but in Phoenix, Monty had a situation with Aiton where they didn't see eye to eye or whatever. They had constant relationship problems. I'm not saying that this is going to go down that road at all. This is three games, very early, but it's very confusing that somebody who started every game last season was a number five pick, was considered to be a huge building block of the franchise, gets a reduced role in terms of coming off the bench, which everyone said it's not a reduced role. He's just not starting. It matters who's closing. Guess what? Ivy ain't closing. Oh, wait. They put him in for the last 30 seconds in garbage time tonight, which probably, I don't know the last time he ever went in the game with 30 seconds left. Like The situation, in my opinion, is not good because Ivy, everyone said, don't worry about it. He's going to be our super sixth man. Well, he's not our sixth man. That's Burks. He's our seventh man. And again, I'm not trying to make this out to be, it's just weird. It's a weird situation. I'm confused by it. So team's playing good. Everything's okay when you're winning, but something to watch. Yeah, I I do want to push back a little bit on like bringing up Aiton. I can see where you're going with this, but I also think like this might be one of those things where it's like, if you're wondering what happened between Aiton and Monty, like the seeds of that are here with Ivy. It's like you could see that happening down the line. We don't envision that. And again, it's three games in the regular season, right? Everything we say, we we say that it's three games. And just like we're going to throw, you know, cold water on the like, oh, this is great. This team's going to be awesome and whatever. We're going to throw cold water in that because it's three games. And we'll also throw cold water on our concerns with Ivy. But there's, they still got to be there. The, the way that I've thought about it, well, I guess before I, I give my thoughts, the seventh man, you're right. Everybody go look if you're like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Number one, if you're watching the game, who checks in first after the starters? It's, it's uh, Burks. Number two, go look at the game, the minutes played, the, the box scores and whatever. Ivy is the eighth man or the seventh man right now. Excuse me. In terms of minutes played, he's the seventh man. And like Andy just said, he's not closing games, which is something that I said and that we said of like, ah, he's going to close games, you know, once the season starts. And again, it's three games. So we're like throwing cold water on that and being like, you know, it's just three games. But it's still worrisome that, like Andy said, the guy that was starting all these games and number five and everybody hyped up is the seventh man. It's it's really odd Um, in the way that I've thought about it. I, I can't help but help. And I don't know if there are other Piston fans out here, but I feel like if this continues, there will be other Piston fans out there that will be like, look at Asar, look at Ivy. I said it in the pre-draft process that if Ivy isn't scoring, I don't know what else he brings to the table. But whereas Asar doesn't need to score. We've seen that. And everybody said that since last season at OTE is like, yeah, there are all these concerns, but like, look at how he plays defense. Look at his rebounding. Look at his ability to be a lob threat. Look at how he can fill in these gaps on defense at a couple different positions. That's starting to play out with uh, with Ivy and Asar. Is like uh, Asar can be four or five different things, whereas Ivy might be in just this one role where he has to be 
an elite level scorer because I don't really know what else he can bring to the table right now. Yeah, he's a good playmaker, but on this team, you're not going to give him the ball over the guys that already have it. I mean, it's Cade's team too, so you have to be more in a supplementary role there. Maybe he could be more of a shooter. Uh, that is yet to be determined. The defense, I think the defense, though, has got to be the biggest thing of what's going on with the role that Monty Williams has him in is just saying, like, there's a standard. And that's the thing, too, with the the DeAndre Ayton thing, I will agree with you. It's clear that Monty Williams, with every player he's ever coached, is like, this is my standard. Uh, it's inflexible. This is the thing that you have to do if you're going to get minutes for me as a coach which I think we're, we're seeing playing out with Ivy. And it has to be the defense because even for me, the, the Ivy skeptic, you can't rag on his offense. He's not one of these guys that you know dribbles there out of the ball. He's not one of these guys that is rigid in his role. That's, that, that would be the one part to me if I was on the coaching staff or if I was Ivy. I, I would be a little bit going banana about because Ivy's a really good off-ball player. If you run like, you know, pin downs and curls for him, similar to the stuff that this team ran for Jeremy Grant when Jeremy Grant was there. Only when Jeremy Grant came off these screens, he shot these mid-range shots that you were like, come on, man, just go to the rim. Ivy's going to do those kinds of things. He was getting better as a catch and shoot um, guy, which again is what Cade in that starting lineup needs. It would be nice to have a shooter there, but it's got to be the defense. Killian, the way you see him play point of attack defense. If you're going to defend Ivy and say he could do those things, good on you. I just haven't personally seen it on film. And they probably have to be saying that that same thing. Because, man, and again, I hate bringing this up. It's three games in. But how long do we wait before we start saying that? And for us, like we just kept saying, I don't know, man. It's concerning. We just don't know how concerned to be yet. And uh, I'm normally not like lost for words, but this is a situation where I am lost for words because it's just like it's concerning, but I don't know how concerning it is yet. Well, then in, in watching the games when he is in and I'll have to go back and rewatch it, but it, I don't feel like they're doing very much to cater to his skill set. Like a lot of times I'll see him sitting in the corner and it's like, that's what he's doing. And like you said, run him off of pin downs, give him some action to get him the ball going downhill. Like his main skills and talents and abilities, it's like they're not catering their game plan towards him, um, which I, I don't know. It, it just seems off and it's early. It's a new system. I'm not trying to like nitpick. It's just, it just seems really off. Yeah. And if the, the idea is to keep him in that second unit, he should be the king of that second unit because that second unit right now is nothing but shooters. It's Bagley and shooters. It's Burks. It's Joe Harris at the four, which I didn't like, but now I'm like, you know what? It, it seems like it's working. And it's Sasser. All those guys can shoot and it should lead Ivy to attack. But you're right. Now, now that you said that, I've seen him in the corner way too often. Ivy's not a dude to, to stick in the corner. Um, yeah, it's just three games and we're trying to see it on both ends too, because they're not running things for Ivy like they should. And what his game says, which is attack, attack, attack. And it's also weird that I, I've been saying everybody else, that's the mandate is attack, attack, attack. You would think the guy like Jaden Ivy would be flourishing in this, but they're obviously telling him something different or putting him in a different role, which just doesn't fit his skill set right now. We'll see how the, the rest of the season plays out. But man, I really do hope we get more off-ball stuff with Ivy attacking the rim and getting more catch-and-shoot looks. Because he just hasn't looked like himself either. I think that's that's my main takeaway from it. I don't see the drives. I really don't see the aggression. It was nice to see him get that one dunk and get the, you know, the wide-open spaces. Because his first step is deadly. They just got to... That's the part about it that's frustrating to me. Is like... He has to take advantage of that first step a little bit more. And the team has to be able to run more things that takes advantage of his first step there too, as well. But I think as a player too, it's like this fine line of like, I know I can do these things and create, but it, it does like 
break the offense and it's not what the coach ran. It's like, do I continue to just do what the coach asked me? Or when I see that opportunity, do I just go out there and take it? What do you think? Uh, that, that's, that's all I have to say on IB. Just, I hope he can turn around. I hope they run more things for him. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be more games and see if, if or what changes because when Monte Morris returns, it's not like Ivy's going to have more opportunities, especially if the team is still struggling with turnovers because Monte Morris is a, a cure for, for that problem as far as organizing everything. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll see what happens because that's the only thing really is him getting comfortable in his role or the team changing his role or I don't know. But right now, three games in, just the direction it's heading doesn't seem, I don't know, seems off. Yeah, in terms of like managing your assets and the guys you want to buy into long term, it, it seems like if I was to buy into like Ivy is going to be in the plans and this is to help with his development the most, it screams a Killian trade because then Killian gets moved. Monte Morris goes into Ivy's role and then Ivy is elevated to the starting lineup. That seems like should be the plan. Ideally, that should be the plan, right? Am I off base with that? So I thought that same thing too, as far as this is just building up, like showing, showing Killian off to move him. But I don't know what people are seeing that they haven't already seen as far as Killian can distribute, he can defend. He's going to struggle with his shooting and struggle with his finishing. And I, I just, I don't see, I just, I don't understand why, if that's what's happening. Cause I, I did think that too. It's like, maybe they're just trying to give Killian this opportunity early, maybe to try and create some sort of trade opportunity for him, or just give him a chance to see if he can step up knowing that the position in the future is for Ivy. It just, it just seems weird, though. Yeah, definitely. It'll be something we monitor and something we cover as we go forward. You know, the main point we want to make is just we hope Ivy can turn it around and the team starts running more things that fit his skill set because they are running things that should fit his skill set. It's just they're not asking him to do it quite yet. One of the things we, we discussed off air, too, is we've kind of seen off and on people say, Hey, look, Troy Weaver knows what he's doing. Look at how this team is playing. And we're like, not really. Andy laid it out so eloquently and better than I could before we recorded. So I'm going to let him take the reins on this. So if you're someone who's saying, see, Troy Weaver planned this all out. Like you just didn't buy into his vision. You don't get it. I, I just don't see it because some people said, the biggest way to change this team would be to change the wing position. And in many ways, that's what Monty Williams has done. If you look at our wing position, he's using Killian and Burks and Asar and Stu with his versatility is covering a lot of those people. But you know who is missing? Boyan, a poor defender on the wing. Ivy's had his minutes reduced, who also is a poor defender. So... If that's the case, then why did we not move Boyan? And because we're doing this with Boyan on the bench. When Boyan comes in, that changes everything a lot in terms of the defense of the team. The other thing is James Wiseman has not even touched the court. So basically, we traded Sadiq Bey for nothing. That is not how you manage your assets in terms of trying to make a step forward. And even if the players we have do turn out great, we're not, we don't have so much talent and so many draft picks and so many things that we can afford to, to be wasteful and mismanage our assets. Yeah. And some of Troy Weaver's biggest acquisitions are essentially not playing or on the bench. Marvin Bagley's being paid 13 and a half million to be the eighth man. 
like you said, Wiseman is not playing at all, right? And then everything that hinges on the draft picks, as we've stated before. <sighs> I don't want to say this, but this team is one Kate injury away from being in a really, really bad spot yet again, right? Yes. I mean, Kate definitely makes everything go because if you take Kate out of the picture, how much does that reduce what Duran has been able to do? Because so much of it is just based off of him working off of Kate. And that's just a huge impact. And again, you know, any team that loses their number one is going to struggle. But for me, I just don't get the fit of the pieces and how the, the roster is supposed to work. But, uh, but I mean, right now we're winning, so everybody's happy. But I just don't necessarily equate the winning to Troy Weaver because, honestly, I don't think Monty Williams was his choice for the coach. I think Gores is the reason why we have Monty as the coach. Because, and if you really think about that, what if Weaver would have gotten his coach? Like, how different could everything possibly look right now? Yeah, and this is an awkward thing to bring up, but it's something that keeps coming up is that this was Gore's choice, and Gore's is really forcing everybody to make sure Monty Williams became the next Detroit Pistons head coach. If you haven't listened to the most recent Pistons Pulse episode, it dropped last week. And they interview Arn Tellum, who's one of the heads in the front office there with the Detroit Pistons. He is adamant, 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 adamant that it is thanks to Tom Gores and Tom Gores alone that Monty Williams is the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. This is something we kind of touched on and thought about. And I discussed with like Aaron Vincent, too, of like, you know, this is Gores's choice. And and Troy kind of had to go along begrudgingly. And there's like this power struggle. <laughs> Again, Arn being Arn, Arn Tellum being so adamant that this was all due to Gores, that that's kind of odd to me. It, it just seems like everybody else either had to be convinced or didn't buy into it. it it's just a weird thing, and it goes back to the the Weaver thing. Like, okay, yeah, if you're saying this was his vision all along, I don't think Monty was his vision all along. That. And again, it's, it's just worrisome. It's worrisome that all these things keep pointing to Troy wanted to go in a different direction or Troy's draft evaluations where we got to go get James Wiseman and trade one of the pieces that could work out here, even as like a bench guy to be a useful player. We trade a useful player for somebody that's not even going to see the court. It's just an odd thing. And again, you throw cold water on the this is Troy Weaver's vision thing because there are so many pieces of evidence that a part of it is not Troy Weaver's job or is part of his vision and the things that 1000% were that he put his stamp of approval on like Wiseman, like Bagley they're not like not working out man and and we talked about this earlier so you, you guys don't think like we're just haters like Bagley has played very well in three games this season. We are very happy with how he's playing. And also his role has been reduced. And part of that is due to Monty's coaching, because one of the reasons why uh, Duran is putting up some of these numbers, he's averaging like 33 minutes a game. Last season, I think he averaged like 24 minutes a game. Like this is, he's playing a lot. Stu is playing a lot. Cade played 40 minutes tonight. This was the second night of a back-to-back. I know he had fouled, he fouled out, so he only played like 24 minutes in yesterday's game. But he's playing these guys to win. So, yeah, I don't want to spend too much too much more time on the the, the Weaver subject. Well, but, uh, too bad because the last thing we're going to talk about is something Weaver could do to make a big swing. Andy alluded to it before. I have this segment in all caps with three exclamation points. Trade Bojan. My goodness. Like Andy said, once Bojan comes back, what is he going to do? So, I guess, I think Joe Harris is averaging like 11 minutes a game. Um, Bojan, last season, I think for the last four or five years, has averaged like 30 minutes a game. 
And again, we're not saying that he's not a great shooter, that he's not a good player, but the identity and the culture that Monty's creating with this team, if Ivy had his role reduced because of defense, what should we do with Boyan's role? I mean, obviously it should be reduced, but even playing him as poor of a defender as he is, do we end up changing what we have? And and I still don't think what we have is amazing. I still don't think we're going to make the play-in. Yes, we're 2-1. and one. Fantastic. Great start. The next game is against OKC. Then we have Portland, who also just lost uh, Anthony Simons who, with, for injuries. So that should be a winnable game. But after that, we play New Orleans, Phoenix, Golden State, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Like... I predicted my estimate would be we'd be three and seven after the first 10. And from what I've seen, even though we've played great, I'm still not like, I wouldn't be shocked if we ended up being three and seven, but uh, yeah, Boyan, I just, I just think even if he does help the team, he takes too much away from the young players developing. I just, I don't see where he fits. Yeah, and if you're somebody in the Detroit Pistons fandom, I'm not going to, anybody that's outside that's going to weigh in, you know, the pundits and experts or whatever, they have a different view of this team that obviously they're going to look at the numbers. They're not going to look at the day-to-day operations. They're not going to look at the feel and the vibes and the chemistry. Like we in the fandom are people that cover the team all the time. They're just going to look at cold, hard stats of like, hey, this team sucks at shooting. Oh, yeah, just put Boyan in the lineup. They'll be all good. No. If you want, if you're somebody out there that wants Boyan back and you want to give him starter minutes, who are you going to kick out? I mean, I would just ask you that. Who are you going to kick out? Killian's probably going to be most people's answers, right? Okay, then you lose your point of attack defender alongside Cade. Who's going to be the point of attack defender? Do you move Sar over to that? Okay, great. Then who's going to be the wing defender now? Are you expecting Cade to do that? Okay, cool. Then. You have Beef Stew, then you have a Jalen Duran, and you have a Bojan Bogdanovich. Like, there's your two front court players. Guess what? You're going to get Bojan picked on there because he's probably going to go over to like guarding shooting guards, which is a bad idea. <laughs> or maybe you stick him on small forwards, which I don't know if you know this, but small forwards, maybe the most athletic position in the NBA. Again, a bad idea. Yeah, you're going to put up more threes, maybe. Um, but that's it to be determined. Oh, guess what? You push Killian down the lineup. Monty's not just going to like push him out of the starting lineup and then not play him. If you push Killian down the lineup, guess who you're pushing further down the lineup? Also, Ivy. What does that do with Ivy now? He's already in this seventh man role. If Bojan is jumping him also, forget his development then. Like, where is he going to get minutes? You're playing this guy who's 34 years old. Are you going to play a major minutes? Are you going to play him 30 or more minutes? That's just pushing Ivy further and further down the lineup. And if the idea was to, you know, help Killian get a trade somewhere else, then that's not helping the cause for that either. And like, if you're somebody that wants to put Bojan in for a SAR and beef stew, then I cannot be your friend. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. You must not like fun. You must not like defense. That's part of the identity of this team that's been formed so far as a SAR in beef stew, yes, the shooting is going to be rough and all that, but just the way they've been able to gel. And like I laid out before, the Monty effect has been real on them for certain. And they also helped Jalen Duran. They helped Kate Cunningham a lot there to do all these little things on both ends of the court. You can't take those guys out of there. And then Bojan coming off the bench. I don't know if that's something he wants. Where is his role going to be on the bench Burks is the sixth man. He's played lights out. He's been fantastic. You've even seen people like Sam Vecini tweet out that this has been the best basketball of his career. You cannot reduce that guy's role. And then Ivy's the seventh man. You cannot reduce Ivy's role any more than it already is, unless you're just going to trade him, which I don't think the team is going to do. So Bojan at the best, in my opinion right now, would be the eighth man, which I don't think he's cool with. I don't know him. Like, I mean, obviously, I don't know what he thinks or whatever, but it, it just seems like that would be something he would not be okay with. So that's fine. He's 
you know, warranted that level of respect to be a starter in this league, then go do it somewhere else because I just don't see him fitting in other than just, again, the whole thing is like, well, he's going to shoot well from three. They already have guys that can do that, that don't need to dribble the basketball, that don't need to get in the way of, like you said, all of these young developing guys. That starting lineup, even if you're not a Killian fan, it's a developing young guy that is, seems to be turning a corner that this coach is buying into. I mean, really, it's just Burks and um, Joe Harris that are the non-young guys in the lineup. And they're filling the role that they should be. Burks being a dynamic scorer, six-man coming off the bench. Joe Harris just standing there, waving everybody from the corners, being like, I'm ready, man. Just give me a shot. Just give me an open shot. They don't need Bojan. Trade him. Please, he needs to be traded ASAP. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Joe Harris because I know there's already people saying like, oh, he's garbage. We spent $20 million on his salary. He does nothing, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's only getting like 11 minutes a game. I think he's only putting up like one and a half three-pointers a game. Like these are all well below his career averages. But guess what? He's fine with it because this is his role right now. If they need more shooting, they can run more plays for him. They can actually do things to drive, try and get him shots. But it's not about him. It's about developing the other players. And he's just fitting into a role, which is something I said in the summertime when we got him. It's like he's the perfect replacement we need for Boyan to ship Boyan out because now we have a shooter if we need it. But he doesn't need to get the ball. He doesn't need minutes. He doesn't need any of those things. Because even though Boyan, I think his option for next season is still only $2 million, I think is what teams have to pay, or they can sign him for the year for $20 million, which means Boyan wants to play because he wants his $20 million next year. He, it's basically like a contract year for him that he wants to make sure he's getting that money. He doesn't want to get $2 million and then have to look for another place to sign on, which I'm sure someone will sign him, but it's just... At this stage of his career, he wants to be playing. He wants to be playing on a playoff team. He wants to compete for a title. Like, it just, it doesn't fit. Time to move on. Yeah, and if you're wondering what the Pistons could get for Bojan, I mean, get in line. I've been wondering that a long time, too. There was a report when he first was available that he, well, they wanted, the team wanted a a young first-rounder or a young, interesting piece Take that however you will, and a first-round pick. And then this past summer, they said, no, they just want a first-round pick. (laughs) This is the hard part with trades, and I'll say this again and again and again anytime we speculate on trades. We don't know who offers or what the offers are out there. We as a fan base always say like, oh, yeah, this guy can you know return this. This guy's definitely worth a first-round pick. This guy's definitely worth this other player on the roster, but... I mean, we don't know. We don't evaluate talent. We don't know what these front offices feel on their individual players, what worth they have, unless you're Daryl Morey of the Sixers and you announce that stuff every week saying Tobias Harris is worth like two first round picks unprotected, you know, being ridiculous like that. We don't know. So we don't know what exactly Bullion's been offered like foreign trades. But you're going to assume that if he hasn't been traded yet, the offer wasn't that great. Maybe Weaver didn't want to pull the trigger yet, even though there was an offer that most people would think is great. I say all that to say this. I think anything that invests in the future is what they need to trade Bullion for. Obviously, the first round pick would be nice. A first round pick uh, would be ideal because they still owe that one that's going to roll over in perpetuity until the team is good. Do the New York Knicks or God forbid it rolls over so much that the protections keep going up and up and up until it's like top three protected. And then the Pistons end up picking fifth and they have to convey it to New York, which is how the Pistons ended up with that third pick that ultimately became our second pick that ultimately became a Darko. Um, you know, things like that can happen. So they got to recoup something, even if it's like four second round picks. I know there are people grumbling out there. Bullion's worth more than that. Well, I mean, he's going to leave or they're going to cut him pretty soon if they don't trade him. You just can't sit on somebody like that that's useful to other teams 
for so long. They got to trade something that is best in the future, whether it's second round picks, whether it's a first round pick, so that they can get other bodies in here to develop with the young guys. I, I kind of like, I'm not sure about trading for a player now. I think it would have to be the exact right kind of player that would fit in. Like I've said, Poku along Alexej Pokashevsky of the Oklahoma City Thunder. You could theoretically put him in Bagley's role and he would probably thrive more than Bagley because he can't shoot and he's a better defender, something like that. But we shall see. Please, though, please, Troy, trade Bojan ASAP. He does not make sense on this team anymore. And what we've seen so far in three games, screens, you got to roll with these guys and don't let anybody ruin this chemistry and what they're building. I have nothing to add there, my friend, because I I have the same opinion. I mean, we think he should have been moved already. I think we missed the window to move him for, for max value. But like what you said, we don't know what the offers were. We don't know what teams were willing to give up. And a lot of times, our evaluations of someone's talent aren't necessarily what the league views their opinion as. Because like if you look at like last season's Pistons team, Knox, Magruder, Diallo, they're not on NBA rosters right now. So sometimes we think, well, some team will pick them up. They're too good. And it doesn't happen, you know. And who was the player on waivers just uh, last week that we didn't pick up? Man, I am drawing a blank here tonight. Um, yeah, there have been three or four guys that, that yeah. um, went on waivers. Are you talking about Kim Birch? Oh, he was one that you mentioned. I think there was one other one. But I mean, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, maybe. Yes, that. Thank you. I couldn't remember right now, but yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But it's like those are players that we all thought somebody's going to pick them up. They're too good not to get picked up. And at this point, teams are happy with who they have, and they want to see the work that they've done and see if they were right or if they were wrong. And later on, they'll make adjustments unless there's an injury to change things. So. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we don't we don't know what the offers are that other teams are making. But yeah, oh, I know here's where I was going with that. I know people saw like uh, Kelly Oubre getting buckets the other day for the Sixers and they were like, man, Pistons should have got him. And yes, for the contract, every team's like, yeah, we could have used him. But that changes the entire dynamic of the chemistry of your team. The young Kelly guys ain't giving up the ball, man. Kelly buckets. He ain't giving up the ball. <laughs> Exactly. If you want to try and build a culture and a team a certain way, you don't just throw a random guy in there because that changes the dynamic of everything. So don't just look at the box score and say, man, this guy gets 20 points a night. We could have used him. No, it changes everything they're trying to build. Yeah, I know this is like steadily turning into the anti-Troy Weaver podcast. But again, we're trying to remain objective. I'll end with this one thing. I think one of the things that has been a Troy Weaver staple is waiting too long to pull the trigger on a trade. Everybody said that about the Jeremy Grant one, which thankfully it turned into Jalen Dern, but it looked pretty bad there for a little while between when he was moved and when they ended up being able to flip that pick. And then it's coming about here with Boyan as well, too. And I mean, Loki Burks as well. Thank God that didn't go through. I mean, that, that's one of my probably earliest three game overreactions is this team can't trade Alec Burks. But um, that's another guy that it just seems like that should have been a move that he made to get an extra pick or do something else down the line. That just seems to be a recurring theme with Troy Weaver. It's like you hear all these Troy rumors. Everybody's like, yeah. That that makes total sense. They're going to move him at the deadline, and then nothing. I don't know what your thoughts are. If you want to keep on the anti-Troy train, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I just think in the position that the Pistons were in, you need to flip players for picks whenever you can and replace them with other players that you can get for that role. Which I believe he did with you know getting Joe Harris. The problem is he didn't flip Bojan. You got to flip the other guy. So then you have a role for the new guy that you bring in. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't beat on him anymore. I, I'm tired of, of picking on Mr. Weaver. 
I mean, it's just been a staple of rebuilding teams that whatever the useful bets you have are at the top, you got to move them for something that helps you build towards the future. And I know one of the things that people have said a lot about Troy Weaver is, well, he started with a beer cupboard. And it's like, yeah, he did. But as you get more and more things in the cupboard, you got to be able to restock them in other ways. And but we'll do this again at a certain point. But when you look at other rebuilding teams and how they've been able to to do that, even when they have had a bear cupboard like Troy Weaver, they've still been able to do things that, that roll over picks or where they just don't trade picks. Loki, one of the most successful things that San Antonio Spurs have ever done is they just never trade picks because they, they realized long ago, we're not going to get in the free agency game. Like, we're really not going to get through trades and stuff. If we're bad, then I guess we're just going to have to eat it with these picks. But this is the most useful and valuable asset we have to acquire talent. We can't be keeping them up. So we'll see what Troy Weaver does down the line. But we really, really hope he does move Bullion for something that can help out in the future. So, Andy, thanks again for stopping by and being here on our weekly Pistons pod. Let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. Real quick before we go, how do you think we'll match up against OKC? I actually think pretty favorably on defense. I think offensively is going to be a little bit of a challenge because this is where the floor spacing, I think, will come into factor a little bit more. OKC, everybody in that, that lineup is defensively oriented to keep you away from the paint. Especially Chat. Now that they have Chat there, they have the final guy that, like, when you get there, you're like, uh oh. <laughs> so we'll see. But I do think that the Detroit does have a nice answer for him in Jalen Duran and Beef Stew, both guys that are not going to back down from the challenge. And with both guys that have strength that can negate Chat or that can make him get into foul trouble like that. So we shall see. It's rare, even though I, I hate talking about Chet being as a rookie. Because I'm like, he's not a rookie. He had his whole last year, like, study the playbook and stuff. That kind of stuff drives me banana. But for a young guy, this first year playing in the league, you can already see he's a centerpiece of the defense. Um, so it'll be a fun matchup. But I, I do think this is the first game where you're going to see the lack of shooting really come back to bite them because it, it, it's going to be a thing with OKC. They're great coached. <laughs> team. They have a bunch of dudes that can do a bunch of different things on offense and defense. It'll be a great matchup, but I think, again, OKC is going to figure out they're going to attack the rack and then take that away, and I don't know what the Pistons counterpunch is right now. Not to say I don't believe they don't have one. I just don't know what it is you know, with this new coach and with everybody out there so far. All right, man. Sounds good. Till next time. Yes, sir. We shall see you next time. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Go on it. <laughs>